is a fascinating set of verses considering what is being said in this and the people to who heard this as their history, which would be the nation of Israel. We have to wrestle with what is heard in a very deceptive nature here of what Israel is going to hear, and I would propose to you this. It says that it is impossible to thwart God's redemptive plan. Even the deception of people will not prevent God from doing what God is going to do. Nothing that a person can do can change what God is going to do. That's what Israel will hear in this particular passage. And it is particularly important because we understand that when they have this, the words given to Moses that they are in the wilderness. They are in their 40 years that they will be in the wilderness, taken out of captivity. And these are the words that they are hearing. Again. Israel is going to hear that it is impossible to thwart God's redemptive plan. That it is impossible to change God's plan by deception. God's plan will come to pass, and then, of course, we will discuss how that relates to us today. So in three or so sections, we will deal with it. The first is going to be... uh, Chapter 26, verses 34 and 35, 34 and 35, which says these words. And Esau was 40 years old, and he took as a wife Judith, the daughter of Bere the Hittite, and also Bethlehem, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they brought bitterness to Isaac and Rebecca. The problem here is it's disobedient marriage. And we say to ourselves, why is it disobedient? First of all, this is the family of the promise. This is the family that, w- that Abraham was told that his, he would be a great nation. And they are disobedient, and we may have forgotten why marrying these Hittite women. He is marrying women from Canaan. Canaan is the land that they will take eventually. But he is not, Abraham was not to take any of the people own land there, which he never did own land in Canaan. But yet this son has taken Canaanite wives. If we turn to Genesis chapter 24, verse 3, Genesis 24, 3, we see the oath that Abraham made his servant take. And it says, And I will make you swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live but you will go to my land and to my kin and take a wife for my son Isaac now of course Esau is Isaac's son but here it still stands why not take a a daughter from the Canaan the Canaan people they're right there well again the the problem is 
is it's the promise. You do not want to be tied to the land, and I will tell you this right now, if you take wives from these people, you will be tied to that land. You will no longer be the sojourner that you're supposed to be for this period of time. We recall that he sent his servant back to Padan Haram in, or Padan Haram in Mesopotamia to find Rebekah of his own people. Apparently people also who knew who Yahweh was. We can also relate as we go forward, we consider what happened to Solomon when he became bound to foreign wives that he followed after their gods. So there's all sorts of problems that come along with what Esau is doing. Genesis 25, 23, which features in this particular set of passages, we will come back to it again, but Genesis 25, 23, when there was the struggling between Esau and Jacob in Rebekah's womb, and she cried out to the Lord, inquired of him about that. In verse 23 it says, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Esau then sells his birthright for I'll say it bluntly, for a bowl of soup is what he does. He becomes referred to as Edom, meaning red, and the Edomites will be a problem for the Israelites for many, many years. And as mentioned before, we even have Herod, at the time of Jesus' birth, is an Edomite himself. So we have these, these pictures that go on here of, of the problem with the, with the marriage to these Canaanite women. And I would also commend to you Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. A reminder too. Also there be no sexually immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. So we have this picture of Esau. Esau seems to do what he wants to do. Esau seems to some degree to at least be driven by his appetites. And in verse 36, or excuse me, 35 is a reminder, and they brought these women, these, this marriage brought bitterness to Isaac and Rebekah, the marriage to these Canaanite women. So that tells us where Esau is at right at this time. We remember that he is a person of the fields. Uh, he is a hunter of game. It is the game which his father enjoys, and it will factor into this story too. I would propose to you that also that Isaac seems to be somewhat driven by his appetites, too, that are here. So we come into the next section, which would be chapter 27, verses 1 through 29. I would say that we could title this as a stolen blessing or a sovereign God 
with a question mark on the end, hopefully being able to answer that. We recall then, too, as I just read, that the older will serve the younger. Keep that in mind as we read through this. Verse 27, uh, chapter 27, verse 1. Now it happened that when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see, that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and he said to him, Here I am. And Isaac said, Behold now, I am old and I do not know the day of my death. So now please take up your gear, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Now I'm going to pause there for just a second. He is literally making this blessing contingent on being fed. Think about that for a second. At any given time, uh, when Isaac is here, at any given time prior to this, he could have given the blessing to Esau. He says, I'm afraid I'm going to die soon. Go get this, prepare this for me, then I will give you this blessing. That is suspect to say the least. Motivation or whatnot behind there. We wonder as we look in this, if if Rebecca had mentioned to Isaac about her conversation with the Lord that there was a struggle within her womb and that the younger would serve the older. Because you see, Isaac never mentions it. Isaac is moving forward as it would be in those times, as typically what it would be, the elder son would be, would become the father figure when the father passed away. But here he says, go do this, then I will give you this blessing. Verse 5. Now, Rebekah was listening while Isaac was speaking to his son Esau. Then Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring to Isaac. But Rebekah spoke to her son Jacob, saying, Behold, I heard your father speaking to your brother Esau, saying, bring me, bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of Yahweh before my death. So now, my son, listen to my voice as I command you. Go now to the flock and get for me two choice young goats from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves, and then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. Now I'm going to pause right there for a moment. Uh, we certainly see that we have a wife that is definitely not in the same, is not in agreement with her husband about what's going to happen. Uh, we see that they are, looks like they are on two different missions at the moment. The father is looking to give the blessing to the oldest son, as would be typical of this time. The mother is looking, perhaps remembering that the older shall serve the younger, what the Lord said to her, and is looking to assure that that will happen. 
it is certainly a story of deception that is occurring. But we should not be surprised that this happens even amongst married couples because of the fallen nature of man. If you would just turn back to Genesis chapter 3, the Lord has already told us that such things will occur. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman he said, to the woman the Lord said, this is after they are confronted with the sin that has occurred, I will greatly multiply your pain and conception. In pain you will bear children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now that desire is not erotic desire there. That desire, when he says to rule over you, it is a supplanting of position. Her desire will be to take the place of the husband over the husband, is what is going to occur. That the right relationships in the, in the marriage, are go, there are going to be struggles with that. And it says so right there. Using that desire is the same word uh, that is used in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, where God is speaking with Cain after Cain is saddened or upset that his offering was not accepted by the Lord. In verse 7 it says, the Lord says to Cain, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, Sin is lying at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So what we see in this fall, and the reason I give this to you, in the, in the fall nature, is right roles are disproportionate. The way things should be are overwhelmed by the way people desire them to be that their own appetites and desires overwhelm the natural way things should be taken care of. And we see this with Rebecca maneuvering to get the youngest son the blessing from the father. And it is quite a maneuver that she's doing. Isaac is an old man. Isaac cannot see well. And it says, back to Genesis chapter 27, verse 11, Then Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I will be as a mocker in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son. Only listen to my voice and go get them for me. So I'm going to pause just for a moment. Israel, remember, is hearing that God's redemptive plan cannot be thwarted by the deception of people. That regardless of what people do, God's plan will stand in place. That God's desires will come about regardless of what people do. And they're hearing this story. They are of this line. 
of the line of Jacob. They're hearing this narrative, this historical narrative go down. They're hearing about the mother who is plotting to get the youngest son the blessing. While this is going on, they're contemplating this in their situation. And the deception continues. And it says in verse 14, so he went and got them and brought them to his mother and his mother made a savory dish such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and she put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory dish and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So now he is dressed he is in a costume with goatskins on him, with his brother's clothing on him, with a meal before him to present to his father in hopes that his father will give the blessing that was to go to the older son to him. And we recall that the mother commanded him in this regard to do this. This is a 40-plus-year-old man that this is happening to. I just want to lay that out there. And the mother says, do this, deceive your father. And I go right back to Genesis 3.16. The desire for the, the wife will be to rule over the husband. That they are not on the same page with regard to this, to the relationship in the children that are here. We recall previously that they had said about how that Rebecca was closer to Jacob and Isaac was closer to Esau. So this is the this is the picture we get. It's so it's just I, we can't even imagine what this looks like with these goatskins on the hands, on the neck. We got all things going on here that are just crazy. I mean, I, I just have just visions in my head of how bad this looks, right? Which just tells you how bad his eyes were, Isaac's eyes were. Uh, Isaac's eyes were. And I guess maybe what we don't see is how important the blessing is, that they would go to this length to do this. And again, it hinges on a meal. Esau himself sold his birthright, the most important thing he had, for a bowl of soup. For just a moment. For just the desires of his stomach. And we see Isaac here hinging the giving of the blessing on the same sort of thing. Sometimes we are our father's sons. So we come into verse 18. Then he came to his father and said, My father. He said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Now, right there, we have a voice problem because he's recognizing that there's something, you know, he's not recognizing the voice right out of the gate. 
And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Rise up, please sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Then Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? We would recall back to how, I, how, how Esau would wander in the fields. It set up the selling of his birthright because he had been out for so long that when he came back he was famished and here Esau is recognizing or excuse me Isaac is recognizing something because it seems like he has asked for this thing and he's back so quickly one need only spend a little time hunting to realize that sometimes most of the times it isn't easy Then Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he, Isaac said, here we go. He has lied, telling him who he is, and he's going to lie again. And he's going to lie using the Lord's name. He says, because Yahweh, your God, caused it to happen to me. The Lord made it happen that I, the fake Esau, have found this game so quickly and have been able to cook the meal and bring it to you right away. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you. So he's anticipating there's something that does not seem right about this, that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau, feeling those goat skins and, and hair that is on the backs of his hands. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? And Jacob lies again, and he said, I am. Three lies so far. Uh, made up in a costume, lying about who he is, lying about what the Lord has done. Lying to his father. We want to recall this was also the sons were part of a miraculous birth, because remember, Rebecca was barren. They would have been taught about God and his ways, about Yahweh and his ways, and yet here we are lying and using the Lord's name to do so. Are you really my son, Esau? And he said, I am. So here are the Israelites wandering in the desert, looking for the promised land, Seemingly against all odds, out of, uh, out of Egypt, out of enslavement. And they're hearing this story of great deception. Of where did we come from? Because we're from the line of Jacob. And here is how it's happening. We said before that God's plans will not be frustrated. They won't be impeded. They won't be obstructed. God said in 25, 23, Genesis 25, 23, he said, 
the older will serve the younger. That all stands out here. Are you really my son Esau? I am. So he said, bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's game, that my soul may bless you. And he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he also brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, please come near and kiss me, my son. So, Jacob came near. He came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his garments. So the deception is complete. The lies have come to fruition. The lies have not been discovered. The plot of the mother, and then of course, Jacob is fully complicit in that lie too, is coming down to this. Has, is culminating in this blessing that has been given. And it says, and then he, and then Isaac blessed him, the fake Esau, and said, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field which Yahweh has blessed. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you be master of your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. Very similar to what the Lord had said to Abram. And we see this, this uh, from the larger to the smaller, this cascading effect that the blessing itself starts in the heavenly realm, that the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, may everything be blessed through everything. May you get the abundance of both the crops and the grape harvest. May all the peoples, look at this, may people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. So from the greater to the smaller, this is a complete blessing, an overall blessing, just encompassing everything that is there. It is a great blessing for him to, to receive. He is passing on the blessing that's, that is like the one that his father received from the Lord and like the one that he received from the Lord, that Isaac received from the Lord. He's saying, you are my oldest son, you will take all these things that have been given to me and I give them to you. And may those who curse you be cursed. May those who bless you be blessed. Now this is quite a blessing that is there. The Israelites hearing this too, that this is where the blessing comes through, through Jacob, through deception that has, been, that is, that is, that has happened, through a costume and lying, all for food, and then a blessing given. And we have a wife that has deceived her husband and a son that has deceived his father. Great deception has gone on here. So now we come to the next part of this, of this narrative, this historical narrative, which would be uh, verses 30 through 45, verses 30 
through 45. And we can title this the anti-blessing. The anti-blessing that occurs. And it says in 30, verse 30, Now it happened that as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from hunting. Then he also made a savory dish and brought it to his father. And then, and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, and your soul may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said to him, Who are you? We can't read if there was a pause in there. We can't see if there was some shock by Esau that his father would not know exactly who he was by his voice. But we can also understand that there might be a little bit of amazement by Esau. And it says, he says, who are you? And he says, I'm your son. Your firstborn, Esau. Then the deception, the, the curtains are pulled back. Uh, the deception is revealed. You can see the wires of the magician. You can see that the box he was in was false with a false bottom. It is all revealed right there in an instant that Isaac had been lied to by both his wife and his son. It, because it says it was shocking to him in verse 33, then Isaac trembled exceedingly violently. He is, you know, uh, convulsions over this, realizing what has been done, the great deception that has occurred, what has happened here in his family, that the blessing was given wrongly in that he was deceived by his wife and his son to do so. And he says, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me, so that I ate of all of it before you came and blessed him? Indeed, he shall be blessed. As Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, so now you have two that are realizing the great deception that has occurred. You cannot miss it. You cannot explain it away. We would be wrong to try to say, well, this made for the greater good. These people are fully responsible for their decision. And God is fully sovereign in all that he does. God's plans are not impeded, hindered, held back by the deception of men and women. In this bitter cry that goes out and said to his father, bless me also, oh my father, I should get a blessing too. I am your oldest son, obviously. I've done exactly what you asked for. I've provided you with the food you wanted. And this other one lied to you, this brother of mine. Jacob, the heel grabber. And he said, your brother, Isaac saying, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. 
Then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, for he has supplanted me these two times? Jacob, heel grabber, in the Hebrew, is, it also means one that takes over the place of another, or takes over in their place. He said, he took away my birthright, and behold, he has now taken away my blessing. He fails to note that he gave his birthright up for a bowl of soup. He was so famished, and the birthright meant nothing to him in comparison to feeding his stomach. Behold, now he has taken away my blessing. You can see him with his fire. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Have you not held something back for me? Wasn't it your intention to give something to me? But Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, and all his fellow brothers I have given to him as servants, and with grain and new wine I have sustained him, now as for you then, what can I do, my son? So again, I've given him this all-encompassing blessing where you have, he has taken everything, all that is mine has become his, and even more so. In reality, there's nothing less except for what we will refer to as the anti-blessing. What we, we will refer to is the exact opposite of what Jacob received. And Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh my father. So Esau lifted his voice and wept. In 39, then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your habitation, and away from the dew of heaven from above. So everything that had been given to Isaac is taken away from him. By your sword you shall live, so the nations won't bow down to you, and your brother you shall serve. The older shall serve the younger. But it shall be when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. Now it will not be a permanent breaking. We see uh, it is worth just uh, diving just a little bit ahead. 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 20. 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 20. We see the example of this, of that breaking of the yoke. In his days, Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah and made a king over themselves. We see this idea for a temporary period of time they were able to break the yoke of Israel. And again, Edom will, all, will be a bane to Israel many, many times. We even see it the whole way back in Exodus uh, where there is there. But I mean, this is, this is what happened. The blessing taken away by deception. And Esau given not only nothing, but it's bad. 
41, so Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Then the words of her elder son Esau were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. So now he's going to violate the rule given down in Genesis chapter 9 of murder. Right? That's what, that's what Esau is going to do. And she says in verse 43, So now, my son, listen to my voice. Arise and flee to Haran, to my brother Laban. So back to Padan Haran is where he's going. Back to Mesopotamia, 450, 500 miles away. You must go, and you must go now. Stay with him a few days until your brother's wrath subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what you did to him. Then I will send and get you from there. Why should I be bereaved of you both in one day? He will go, and we'll read about it, we'll hear about it coming up next week. But understand that she says a few days, it will be 20 plus years. There is no mention that she ever sees her son again. That she sends him away, 500 miles away, to live with her brother in Mesopotamia to protect him from the deception that she was part of, to deceive her husband, to deceive Esau's father, that she sends him away. This anti-blessing that is given at the end, and so... We're going we're gonna to put this all together, and we're going to say, yes, 100%. Israel, what they are hearing when they hear this thing, when they are wandering in the wilderness, when they have experienced the plagues, when they have gone out of Egypt, when, when, when Pharaoh has finally let them go, and then pursued them, and then they saw the entirety of the Egyptian army drowned in the Red Sea, when they are out in the out, out in the wilderness, wandering around, when they're when they're eating of the manna, when they're eating of the quail, when they're discovering themselves, when they go against the Lord, and the serpents are sent in amongst them, and they are bitten, and many die. Through all their machinations that they do in the wilderness, when they are building false gods to worship and whatnot, it says that God's plans will not fail. His plans will come to pass exactly as he has desired them to do so, without variation. And he will work through the deception of men and women to bring about what he desires to happen. Go to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24. Isaiah 14, 24 So this would be under the, uh, under the uh, breaking of the yoke of uh, 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 rule of uh, Assyria that is there, how Assyria has, has, has uh, taken uh, captivity of them there. And it says in verse 24, Yahweh of hosts, or the Lord of hosts, has sworn, saying, 
Surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened. And just as I have counseled, so it will stand. So it will stand. We can skip back a little bit. Let's look at Psalm chapter 110, which is the royal psalm of the enthronement of Christ. Psalm 110, verse 4. Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. In this regard, he's talking about the priesthood of Christ. But he will not change his mind. The Lord does not change his mind uh, as, uh, as we see in the scriptures. Right? His plan will stand in its place. Proverbs 19.21 attests to that. Uh, I, would like, I would ask you to take a look at Job 42.2. And we're just running through a couple scriptures to a culmination, culminating point. Job 42.2. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too marvelous for me which I did not know. That is verse 3 and verse 4. Excuse me, hear now and I will speak and I will ask you, and you will make known to me, so that is how God is addressing, uh, how is addressing Job, right? Because what he is doing when he addresses that is what he said to Job in verse 2. It says, I know you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And so that was Job's response to how God talked to him, or how he talked to God. So you get this idea that, that, Everything that God has, everything that is happening is exactly as God has desired. And we can say this, that exactly where you are at this time is exactly the place you're supposed to be. The moment in which you were born is the exact moment you were meant to be. For such a time as this, it would say in Esther, for such a time as this, I think it's Esther 4.14, for such a time as this is when you were born, when God has placed you. So everything that has happened, including that deception that is there, the people are fully responsible for what they're doing, but is fully within the scope of what God is doing to bring about his redemptive plan. Acts 2.23, after, after Peter's, at the end of Peter's sermon, at Pentecost, as he walks through the Old Testament passages that were uh, prophesying about Christ, uh, the ones that he said, and then he says to you, all these ones that you, look at verse 23, this man, this man who is Christ Jesus, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan of foreknowledge of God, okay, so it was always the plan, you nailed to a cross by the hands of lawless men and put him to death. Always part of God's redemptive plan. Always the people were responsible for exactly what they do, and we must come to grips with that. They are fully responsible for what they do. They are not robots that are putting Jesus on the cross. They want him to die. They want to murder him. They want to violate the commandments. They want to uh, accuse him of blasphemy even when he does not. Pilate himself even sees that there's nothing wrong with this man, right? 
But they are fully responsible for the murder of Christ, and it is fully within the predetermined plan of God to do so. So we take from that story as we come forward. We see it back then. We come forward now to the time of Christ with what this happens, that this predetermined plan of God, that his son was always to be the one that would take upon our sins, We could even say, I'll be gentle here, because it's just kind of percolating around that he, Jesus, he takes on the cursed blessing that we should have gotten, and we receive the great blessing that was his. We are clothed in his righteousness, and he takes on our filthy rags of sin in our place. Go to Colossians 2, 13 through 14. And you being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, he, God, made you alive with him, having graciously forgiven us all our transgressions, Those transgressions are forgiven because of Christ on the cross, because he has taken them upon himself for all those that would believe in him. Confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that uh, that God raised him from the dead. Right, And then verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which were hostile to us, he he also has taken it out of the way. How was that done? through the hands of Roman soldiers nailing it to the cross, nailing him to the cross. Always part of God's plan. Now finally, Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. For men swear by one greater than themselves, with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise. We talked in weeks past, you are heirs to the promise found in Christ. You are heirs to that promise that was given to Abraham. You are part of that same familial line. Desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. God has worked through the deception of men, through the lies of men, and Christ goes to the cross willingly that that whole time. He willingly takes on our sin, and he goes to the cross, but the deceptive nature of men lying about who Jesus is, lying about what he does, getting him on the cross, desiring to take him out of the picture, and in turn, through God's plan, gives us eternal life through that work that he has done. And it says then in verse 19, that hope that we have, that sure and true hope that we have, is as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and confirmed, in one which enters within the veil. 
So then when we look at that story, as we close this out, we see this deceptive people that is disgusting to us to a large degree, but we also see that God's promise that he said that the older would serve the younger comes to pass, in that his plan and promise is true and sure. Regardless of how people try to manipulate the situation, God is bringing it to pass. So I would say to you as we come that you must trust in the hope that the Lord gives you. You must trust in the work that Christ has done on the cross. Regardless of what you see people even at the church doing that you might not like or you might disagree with, that his promises, regardless of the actions of men at a church, stand. His promises are not affected about how poorly I might preach the gospel. His gospel is 100% true. His gospel will come to pass. The good news is so good that it was worth sending his son to the cross to save you. You must trust in that. Don't trust in the words of men. Trust in the gospel, in the good news that is in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this word. Thank you for uh, these sometimes difficult historical narratives that are so distant from us and so distant in the manner in which they live that we sometimes have a hard understanding. We pray for that wisdom that you would give us, that you promised to give us, that we would sit and be humble under your word. We desire to know more about you, know more about our Savior, Christ Jesus, and we ask for that continued instruction by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.